Come on, give her a hand. That's a beautiful song. Thank you, Lord. Amber. And, you know, everybody stand together, and we're going to read a verse or two in just a moment. But uh, part of that song was pulled out of the Song of Solomon. You probably recognize that. And we just began a series on Wednesday nights called The One That Got Away. You know, there's one woman that Solomon could not have. She was called the Shulamite. And she represents us. And we started a series on that Wednesday night. And I've had people tell me, it's, I think it's going to be my all-time favorite series of what you have done on Wednesday nights. And that, that's saying a lot because I've taught a lot. But here it is. If you want to just see what it was like, the CD is back there at the connection point. If you want to grab it on your way out, the one that got away, we taught last Wednesday on an hour of trouble. And it's an incredible story. It's a beautiful illustration of Christ and the church. And if your relationship with Christ is not what it ought to be and you want it stronger, it's the series for you. If your relationship is doing really strongly, it can never do too well. We can always grow, and you'll want to hear it too. So grab that on the way out. Now, I saw a long time ago pastoring that an evangelist will come through and preach everybody up into the air. The pastor is concerned about how you land. And, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about our walk, our walk with Christ, and uh, how we live our life out as believers. It should make a difference. So when you look at Romans 12, Romans 12 could be summed up in three words, walk this way. Can we say it together? Walk this way. That's, that's the message of Romans and Romans 12 talks about our upward walk, how we live Godward, our outward walk, how we live peopleward towards people. And today we're going to talk about our inward walk, how we live our faith out in cooperation with the Holy Spirit who is working inside of every one of us. Amen? So let's read Romans 12, 9 through 12. And I want you to read it with me because this is great instruction for how we're to walk this way. Are you ready? Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor or serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Every one of the things we just read are inward evidences of salvation. It's the fruit of the Spirit. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you right now that you have called all of us to an upward walk, an outward walk, and an inward walk. And Lord, I pray that your word will penetrate every soul today and that we will grow by the grace of God and our walk with you will become stronger than it's ever been and we thank you for it. Now, church, will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to my heart. I receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and preach a little bit and say, walk this way. <clears throat> Amen. It's good to see all of you here in this third service this weekend. We've had great church, every single one of them. Thank God for his presence. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to listen to these words again. He says, here's the way you ought to be walking on the inside. Love of what is good, hatred of evil, devotion, honor, 
zeal, joy, patience, and faithfulness. Those ought to highlight your life. All of those words have to do with what's going on inside of us, in the heart and in the soul. What we sometimes say in the innermost, innermost, the inner sanctum of our soul. Those are the things that ought to be growing and working in us. As they say, don't judge a book by its cover, but judge a book by the inside, what's in it. I picked up books with great covers that were lousy books, and I picked up books with terrible covers, and they were incredible books. It's the same with people. God looks at you and me that way. God told Samuel when he was judging Jesse's sons, and one after another came in front of him, he's looking for a new king for Israel, and he was very impressed with the first one that stood in front of him, Eliab, and he, and he look, looked at Eliab and said, now there's a king, and God said, don't look on the outside, but look on the inside, because because man looks on the outer appearance, but God looks at the heart. This week I was reading in the Psalms in my private devotion, and I spotted the real problem with the children of Israel and why they failed in the wilderness. Why they failed? Because their failure was tragic. All but two of them died in the wilderness and didn't even make it to the other side to enjoy the promised land towards which God had called them. The psalmist writes this about why they failed. He says, they were a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart right. Now notice, they didn't set it. We are not victims of what our heart is like. We set our hearts. We're not victims of circumstances. We set our hearts as to how we're going to respond to circumstances. And he goes on to say, and their spirit was not faithful to God. Now, I found that interesting because he didn't say their actions weren't faithful to God or their attitudes weren't faithful. He said their spirit, deep down inside, their spirit was not faithful to God. They were, they were playing church, saying one thing, doing another. It goes on later to say they tested God in their heart. Their heart attitude tested God, tried God, got them in trouble. They, they died in the wilderness. The problem was the inner sanctum of their soul, deep down in their soul, they weren't true to God. Their inner walk was not authentic. It was not real. It was not true. And it did not reveal integrity their inner walk. They were playing games with God, saying one thing with their mouth, acting another way, harboring a whole different attitude within, and God looked on their heart. Now, conversely, the, the Psalms juxtapose them to David. And listen to the way the Psalms talk about David. He shepherded Israel according to the integrity of his heart. David had integrity of heart. Now that word integrity is loaded. It is power-packed. It is full of meaning. And I want to unpack it for you as best I can. What, what does integrity mean? You need to know that integrity is the key to an inward walk that pleases God. We're all on an inward journey. We're all going somewhere on the inside. 
If you want to please God in your inward journey, your inward walk, as you walk with him, integrity is the key. Integrity is the key that produces the kind of spiritual fruit we just read listed in Romans 12. So you say, well, then what does integrity mean? The Hebrew word for integrity doesn't mean what you might think it does. It means complete. It means whole, not lacking. Completeness and wholeness in the soul of a person. The person with integrity possesses a whole, complete, well-rounded, fully-orbed soul. It is healthy. The person that walks in integrity. Integrity means that your outward actions reflect your inward values. What you say is what you do. What you do is what comes from the truth inside of you. There is not a disconnect from here and out here. You are, we could say, true to the truth. Integrity is when you are true to the truth. And what's the truth? It's right here. Now listen carefully to me today, because I'm going to explain, you know, as a preacher, I'm finding myself having to clarify and explain things because our culture has gone so haywire. There, is, there are so many myths and misconceptions out there about Christianity that I feel compelled all the time to get up here and just share with you what the Word of God says about the real thing. Remember that Coke commercial, The Real Thing? I, I want us to know the real thing in here. I, I don't want to, to have a counterfeit when it comes to Christianity. I want us to know the real thing. The real thing is that one day the Holy Spirit came knocking on the door of every person in here that is saved. He knocked on the door of your heart and convicted you of sin and said, your answer is the cross of Christ and what he did for you, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so you go to the cross and there you find the blood of Jesus was spilled for you. And you say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I am a sinner. And I ask you to come into my heart and forgive me of my sins and, and make me right with you. And immediately when you do that, a miracle, the greatest miracle available on planet earth takes place in your life at that very moment, that defining moment, the Holy Ghost comes to live inside of you and you become born again, and you experience a total transformation of your soul from death to life, from lost to found, from blind to sight, from hell-bound to heaven-bound. There is a miracle, and if any man be in Christ, if any woman be in Christ, they are a brand new creation. The old is passed away, and everything has become completely and totally new. A radical transformation has happened. And when the Spirit comes to live inside of you, He will always put you in touch with this Word. Because this is God's guidebook for life. This is God's instruction manual for living. And the Bible says all this scripture was given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for Christian living. Everything in here is breathed out by the Spirit of God. You can trust it. You can stand on it. You can live by it. You can die by it. It is the Word of God. There is no other book like it. There are many, many books in this world, but this is the only book on earth that didn't come from earth. And integrity means when God comes to live in your life and he puts his truth in you, that you begin to live out that truth. 
Your inward values and your outward actions are in agreement. They are in harmony more and more and more as you grow in Him. You live your life out according to the truth that you profess. The Scriptures often talk about integrity. That powerful word that makes you complete and whole. For example, Proverbs 19.1 speaks of the value of integrity. Listen to this. Better is the poor man that walks in his integrity than he that is perverse in his lips and is a fool. If you've got integrity in your life and you don't have much money, you are far richer than a billionaire who sleeps on satin sheets in his mansion at night, but he is not right with God and he's not living a life that honors God and he is hypocritical, he is divided, he is a man divided. Proverbs 20 verse 7 talks about the generational blessing of integrity. Listen to this. You parents... A righteous man that walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. That's telling us that that, that the the way you live has a trickle-down effect. The way you live trickles down. It trickles down into generations. That's why we need to realize we don't live for ourselves and we don't die for ourselves or to ourselves. But the way we live, the way we walk out our life has a trickle-down effect. The same way that a leaf will fall on a still, calm pond and it sends ripples all throughout that pond and they reach all the way to the shore in the same way when you live a life of integrity, it sends ripples down through the generations, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and your generations after you are blessed because you stood in the gap and walked in integrity. One day David asked God a question, and he told us about the question. He recorded his question in the Psalms. He said, Jehovah, hey Jehovah, who shall dwell in your tabernacle? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? Now here's what he's asking. Who who can draw near to you? Who will you allow to draw close? Who are you going to let into your presence? And then he answers his own question. He that walks uprightly, that's the outward walk. He that walks uprightly and works righteousness, that's outward, and speaks the truth in his heart, that's inward. Now notice he connects speaking truth in your heart, which means walking in the truth in your heart, and it manifests in the way you walk. You are living out the truth that is in your heart. Integrity. This perfectly describes integrity. What's in here is what's going to come out here. The Bible says, walk this way. Can you say that with me? Walk this way. Ask yourself today, are you being true to the truth? I ask myself, am I being true to the truth as as well as I know to be? Am Am I walking in the truth that God has shown me? Am I living it? Or am I saying I believe one thing and doing another, and that's the life of a hypocrite, Now, here's why that question is important, and I want you to think about this. Are you being true to the truth? That's the question. Tell me the answer to that question, and I will tell you where you will be in five or ten years. Because the way we live today sows all the seeds for tomorrow. The answer to that question is going to decide several things about your future. Let me tell you a couple of them. First, 
It's going to decide whether or not you and I live a successful Christian life. Now, I believe I'm talking mainly to people who love the Lord. If you love the Lord, would you raise your hand today? I'm talking to the choir, I know. But what you're going to learn today, go out and tell somebody. Now, how many of you can say, I want to live a successful Christian life, Pastor Jeff? I do. I want to bear it fruit. I want, to, I want to glorify him. I want to leave a mark for God. Let me see it one more time. If that's you, give him a hand of praise today. In that case, let me tell you what a successful Christian life is not so that we can know what it really is. A, sex, a successful Christian life is not measured by your presence in church on Sunday, although that is a part of being true to the truth because the Bible says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together as the bad habit of some is. And so much the more as you see the day of Jesus' return approaching. And folks, if ever I saw a time in all of history that Jesus is likely to be approaching, it is now. Amen. But being in church on Sunday doesn't necessarily reflect a successful Christian life. And a successful Christian life is not measured by never getting a traffic ticket or being a good parent or paying your taxes or helping the poor. And all those things are important, but they are not the chief evidence of a successful Christian life. He said, well, then what is? The truest evidence of a successful Christian life is told us by Jesus in John 15. I want you to listen to what he said. You didn't pick me, but I picked you. Isn't it funny? We go out the day after we got saved and we tell people, hey, last night I found the Lord. Let me tell you something. You didn't find him. He found you. He knew right where you were. He knew the drug hangouts. He knew the bars. He knew where you were. And he found you. And he came knocking on the door of your heart. He convicted you of your sin. He pointed to that old rugged cross where the blood of Jesus is running down, that crimson tide that washes away all of your sin. And Jesus Christ showed you that you needed him. And you repented. And he saved you and filled you with his Holy Spirit and began to set your feet on the road to your destiny. And so you didn't find him. He found you. It's all him. And none of us thank God for the mercy of God. So Jesus wants us to understand right up front, you didn't pick me, but I picked you. And I appointed you, listen to what he says, so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. So how do you see a successful Christian life? What's the evidence? It is fruit bearing. Just to make sure that we got it. He said again in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And listen to this again. He said, this is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. How do you know somebody's a real disciple? They bear fruit. They're not playing church. They bear fruit. I got to tell you, we live in a day of cheap Christianity, greasy grace, sloppy agape, easy believism. People say, well, I went down in an altar call and I, and I got it. Well, I sometimes wonder what you got. Because if you got it, the it that I'm talking about and the Bible is talking about, then we should see a distinct change in your life. A real disciple, mathetes, is, is the Greek word, disciple. 
gets up every day and says, Lord, I'm going to live for you today. I'm picking up my cross and I'm going to follow you. I'm going to deny, deny myself and not my will, but thine be done. And I love you above the world. And I care about what you think more than what the world thinks. And if I've got to say no to a hundred things today that I might walk with you, you've got it. I'll say no to 101 things. Lord, whatever it takes, you are my all in all. You are mine and I am yours and your banner over me is love and I am serious about this thing called my faith and I'm going to live it out and walk it out and I want the world to know that a Christian lived when I die. And when, when he's first in your life and when you've really been his disciple, you produce that fruit, you might wonder, what is the fruit? Fruit is the transformation of our character into the likeness of Jesus. Romans 8, 28, we quote it all the time. He makes all things to work together for the good of those that believe God and are called according to his purpose, those who love God and are called according to his purposes. But, but, but what? how does he work all things to our good? What is the good? The very next verse says so. That you might be conformed to the image of his Son. So every single thing that happens to you and me, good, bad, and ugly, as believers, he makes it bow and conform to that one purpose that we will be formed in the likeness of his son. See, God liked Jesus so much, he wants a bunch of him. He wants them running around everywhere. Little, little Jesuses, people that look like him, think like him, walk like him. Fruit is the transformation of our character into the likeness of Jesus, and it manifests this way. Love, joy, peace in the middle of a storm. Gentleness, not meanness. Love, joy, meekness, kindness, faith, peace. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit is the evidence of Jesus being formed within. And as you obey the Lord in the privacy of your heart, and you, it works out into the actions of your life, that is how you bring forth fruit. Fruit is the inward proof that you have been true to the truth by obediently walking out the Word of God. Every time the Lord prompts you and says, this is what I want you to do, and you do it, you be, begin to bring forth fruit. Abiding in the vine is easy. You get up in the morning, you get into the Word of God and gather your manna for the morning, as they did in Israel. Gather the Word of God and read it and have a prayer time. Spend some time with the Lord. You have right then plugged yourself in for that day, abiding in the vine. And that means the life of the vine, the fruit of the vine, the reality of the vine begins to grow in you. You don't have to make it happen. It just comes. You just kind of hang there. And fruit starts coming out. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith. People start going, you remind me of Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said. You are my friends. You are truly in relationship with me if you do what I command. You're really walking with me as a friend in close relationship. If you don't just hear what I said, but you do it. So whether or not you're inwardly being true to the truth will decide whether or not you bear fruit. It's that simple. Are you living it out? Are you obeying God? Are you being true to the truth in his word? 
Now, the answer to that question, are you being true to the truth, can also reveal something. You know what it reveals? Whether or not you're genuinely saved. Pastor Jeff, now you're treading. I'm starting to wish I'd stayed home. Listen carefully to me. I read of a woman recently who sued her doctor. She's suing her doctor because he found cancer in her body, but because she was a much older woman, he decided not to tell her. And she went for a second opinion, and they found it and told her what was there. And she went back and sued the first doctor because he saw it because she was so on in years he didn't tell her. Now, let me tell you what the problem is in pulpits all over America. We have decided not to talk about sin anymore. We have decided that we're not going to tell people the disease that they have. But I don't want to go to the judgment bar of God and have some of you standing there and point at me and say, he never told me. So I'm going to tell you today, the whole human race has a disease and it's called sin. Jesus talked about it. In case you think that I'm being kind of hard or harsh, Jesus talked about sin all the time. Jesus said, he that believes not in me will die in his sins. The prophet said you will call his name, or the angel said you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. There's only one answer to the sin problem. His name is Jesus. It's not Muhammad. It's not Buddha. It's not Confucius. And it's not hugging a tree. It's sin. And Jesus who covers the sin. So, whether or not you're genuinely saved, if you're not living out the truth that the Bible says we should be walking in as believers, it could be, it might be, that you're not saved. Now, I said might, because there are exceptions. There are Christians who are still immature, and they don't walk in integrity as they should, and the Bible promises God's going to deal with them. Hebrews 12, verse 6 says, The Lord disciplines the one He loves. He chastens everyone He accepts as His Son. Can I just put it in the revised Wickwire version? If you're a believer and you go off into sin, he's going to find you and he's going to whoop you. He has a woodshed and one good chastening from God and it makes you obedient. Before I was afflicted, David said, I went astray, but now I keep your word. But that's not who we're talking about here. This living out the truth, this inward journey, this inward integrity There are also people who assume they're saved for various reasons, but they're not. Mama was a Christian, so I'm saved by association. Or they were baptized as a child, so they say, I was saved by getting wet in a baptistry. Baptism doesn't save you. Or because they attend church, they're saved by being in a building. They're saved by location. I can tell you, go sit in a garage for a thousand years, you will never become a car. Sitting in a building does not make you a Christian. I don't care what building it is. I don't care how many believers are there. Sitting in a building and going to Christian programs don't make you a Christian. Or they say they understand the claims of Christianity, so they're saved by knowledge. But knowledge does you no good unless you act on it. Knowledge can't save you. It is faith that saves in the claims of the Scripture. The facts are that they have never shown any real evidence of having been saved. The Bible teaches that living out the truth is evidence of a genuine inward conversion. I want you to catch that. Because, see, when you get saved, you get a new nature. And that new nature wants to obey God, wants to walk with God, wants to please God. 
It's not a bunch of rules and regulations. It is a new life. It's not religion. It's a relationship. The Bible teaches that living out the truth, not perfectly, because none of us can do it, but sincerely is evidence of a genuine inward conversion. Listen to what John says. And I think of old John here, gentle John. He's the one that was, had his head on Jesus' lap at the Last Supper. He was affectionately called in the Bible the one that Jesus loved, the disciple Jesus loved. Gentle John. When Jesus found him, he's mending the nets. He's a mender. He's a lover. He's always saying, my little children love one another. My little children get along. My little children this and my little children that. But listen to what he says. If we claim we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. John floated like a butterfly, stings like a bee. He says, we lie and we don't, listen to what his words are, we don't live out the truth. He's saying, if you say you've got it, you ought to be living out that truth. It ought to be showing in your life. There ought to be evidence that you're a believer. Listen to him again, 1 John 2, 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. See, unfortunately, there's people in churches all over America that are lost, and they assume they're saved. But they've never had an experience with Christ. They've never come to him. There is no evidence that they have ever been saved. If you compare them to people in the world, you can't tell the difference. They walk like the world, talk like the world, think like the world, act like the world. And the Bible is clear, dear church, and I say this because I love you. I'm not condemning anybody. But again, I want to say I don't want to meet any of you at the bar of God and have you say, he never told me the truth. Thank God that when I was sitting in juvenile home, somebody came and told me the truth. I'll never forget that Baptist preacher with a long bony finger. Came into the juvenile home. There were about 50 of us sitting there, just juvenile delinquents. We were all in trouble. And he preached the gospel, and then he pointed that finger. And I was convinced he was looking at me. As a matter of fact, I almost said, quit looking at me. But he was looking, I felt, right at me. I didn't understand the conviction of the Holy Spirit that I was beginning to come under. But he said, he said, you are all going to go before a judge who knows part of what you've done. But I'm telling you, young men, there is a judge who knows everything you've done, and you're going to answer for it unless you come to the foot of the cross and get saved. And I came under conviction. I want to be clear, the Bible is not saying that we must live perfect, obedient lives or we are not saved, because nobody can do that. John isn't talking about people who stumble or make mistakes or are trapped in a habit that they can't get out of. Listen, Christians have all kinds of problems. I'm not talking about that. Even hard-nosed James admits we all offend and we all stumble in many things. We stumble in word. We stumble in action. We think things, do things. I mean, most of us on the way to church today thought something, said something we shouldn't have. Thank God for the blood. Not every month, not every week, not every day, but every hour the blood is there to cover us of sin. But I'm not talking about that. The Bible is talking about the person who lives in sin, practices sin, and has no real conviction about it. There's no Holy Ghost conviction. They may sit in church, enjoy the music. They may even like to come and hear me preach and watch me sweat. They go to church functions. 
They go because they want to belong somewhere. There's various reasons people go to church. Yet in private, they practice a sinful lifestyle that is not lined up with, with the Word. There, there is no inward harmony. The, the inward journey thereon does not depict, it is not evidentiary of, of a walk with Christ. No real change has ever occurred. And what I want you to understand is if you came to Jesus, we ought to know it. We ought to see it. We don't expect somebody perfect, but there ought to be evidences. You leave the world and the things of the world. You not only have a different relationship with God, but you have a different relationship with sin. Boy, it's quiet in here today. See, we talk all about Oh, I've got a new relationship with God. Let me ask you, has your relationship with sin changed? The things you used to love, you grow to hate. The things you used to hate, you grow to love. God changes you on the innermost of your being. You're changed. If any man, any woman be in Christ, he's a new creation. But the person who has never really been saved, they're still totally in the world. When you look at them and their lifestyle, compare it with the worldly unbeliever, there's no difference. No difference. And if your lifestyle is not reflective of the teachings of Scripture, please consider that you may not have ever been saved. Well, then what do I do, Pastor Jeff? Get saved. Come to that cross. Come to that cross. So the answer to the question, are you being true to the truth, Decides whether or not you're going to be a successful Christian because you bear fruit when you're true to the truth and you walk in integrity. But it can also reveal whether or not you truly know him. I've had people in both services so far have come down to give their hearts to Christ who have been in church for months. Adults. We used to sing a song, if you're saved and you know it, praise the Lord. If you're saved and you know it, praise the Lord. Then it said, if you're saved and you know it, then your life will surely show it. I know I'm no singer. Bear with me. It's a true song. Your life will surely show it. If you're saved and you know it, praise the Lord. Now I want to end one last thing, and you're going to like this one. Get this. How many of you in here want to be happy? Anybody in here want to be miserable? I want to meet you. <laughs> I've never met a person that wants to be miserable. I've always met people. Anybody wants to be happy? Listen to this. Are you ready? Being true to the truth, living a life of integrity, is what will make you genuinely happy. It'll make you happy. James talked about the double-minded man that's unstable in all of his ways. Well, unstable people are never happy. But when you live a life of integrity and you are true to the truth and you live out the truth that is in your heart that God has put there in line with his word, that is what makes you happy. And if you don't believe me, listen to Jesus. He said, I have given you an example to follow. He's talking about his teachings and the way he lived. Do as I have done to you. Happy are you if you do them. Not just if you hear them, but if you do them, you will be happy. Every time you obey God in your heart, 
something happens. Something begins to bubble up. Listen, the closer you get to God, the happier you get. The devil is such a liar. He tells people, if you come to Christianity, you're going to be a boring person walking around carrying a black Bible in your arm. You're going to be in church every time the door is open and listen to a boring sermon and hang around boring people and go back to a boring household and a boring life until finally God has mercy on you and you die. But the devil is such a liar. Because listen, it says sin is what is hard on people. The way of the sinner is hard and difficult and brutal because of the consequences that it brings. But walking with the Lord, drawing close to Him, the Bible says the joy of the Lord is my strength. And the Bible says in His presence is fullness of joy. So the closer you get to Him, the more joy you've got until finally it comes bursting out and you begin telling people about what has happened to you. I once was lost, but now I'm found blind, but now I see. Thank God. Jesus has made me happy. Can we stand together today? And I'm going to ask you to bow with me for a moment of prayer. I'm going to come to the Lord. Lord, help us to walk in integrity that we might be fruit-bearing. And Lord, if our lives don't show evidence of genuine salvation, help us to turn to you now, this moment, today. With your heads bowed, I'm talking just to you. Forget about the people around you. I'm talking just to you. You say, Pastor Jeff, I used to walk with the Lord but there has come some areas in my spirit where I haven't been true to the truth and even before you preach this message I knew it this isn't news to me God's already been dealing with me and I would love to leave this building walking a life of integrity where I'm living out the truth that I know Or maybe you've never in your life said, Jesus, I'm coming to the cross and I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm asking you to come into my heart. I've been in church, Lord. I thought I knew you, but there's never been evidence. And I want to come to you today and leave this building with peace in my heart. With your heads bowed, if you can say, Pastor, I'm in one of those two categories. I want you to slip your hand up right now. Just lift it up high where I can see you. God bless you, many of you. God bless you. God loves you so much. I want you to do something. If your hand is raised, I want you to come and stand in front of me right here. I want to take your hand. I want to pray with you. Why do I need to come down there? Because all throughout the rest of your life, you're going to have to step forward for Jesus. And this is the best place to start. And as soon as you take a step, God is going to move on your life. I want you to come now. We're going to wait on you. Let's get our hearts right with the Lord today as we sing. Thank you, Lord. All to Jesus I surrender all to Him I freely give. Come from all over the building. God's touching people's hearts. Ever love and trust him in 
time if there is a struggle in your heart right now that could be an indication that the Holy Spirit's calling you and and there is a battle going on can I tell you you have the power to say I'm going down I'm going to take care of this today I'm going to leave this building where I ought to be with God so we're going to sing it one more time and then we're going to pray so if you need to come you come right now God help you God grace you to do it thank you Lord Thank you. 